Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. What does it mean to be blessed? Is it a relationship status? Is it a promotion at work? Is it a hashtag? Hashtag happy. Hashtag favor. Hashtag beautiful. Hashtag you can't stop me. What does it mean to be blessed? And how do you measure it? Is it based on the digits in your bank account? The number of friends in your life? Or the size of your house? What does it mean to be blessed? And what do we do if we've been missing out on it? All this Christmas, everybody. Come on, one more time. Merry Christmas. Come on, how many of you are so thankful that it snowed last night? So my mom and dad are here. My mom who birthed me, you can thank her. Hallelujah. Uh, they're here today, and um, we are so happy they're here with us. We love it when they come because they just get to bring fresh joy to our home, but we were wanting to take them to our lake to just uh, to do some Christmas skating. You know, you got the lights and uh, you know, they got the music playing, and they've got the fireplace, and they've got, like, just beautiful Christmas feel, and it rained. It was weird. It rained, and, it, like, the ice was sloshy, and the fireplace wasn't turned on, and the guy turned on the music, and it was like, he's like, I'm really sorry. Something's wrong with it. It was, like, the worst Christmas experience <laughs> I have ever had, and I just said, God, I just want one thing, Lord. All I want for Christmas is a fresh coat of snow, and, you know, I just fasted and prayed for weeks, guys. And I just want you to know that if you need something to pray for, I will pray for you because God obviously answered my prayer. But no, what a beautiful morning got up and some beautiful snow. And so we're just so glad that they're here. We're glad you're here. Merry Christmas. Again, our Christmas Eve service. It's going to be one hour on the spot. My wife and I are going to co-teach together. It's going to be really great. And it'll be a great chance for you to bring uh, someone maybe who doesn't know the Lord, maybe doesn't know God. And we're going to share the gospel of Jesus and how great he is and why he came to earth. And we have a special song James has prepared and the team. And we're going to sing some Christmas carols. And I think we have gingerbread cookies and hot chocolate and cider afterwards. So it'll be super fun. So, And then uh, just before I get into the word today, uh, also, we're starting a new series on January 5th. We're going to do a little bit of a longer series, uh, longer than I normally do, but it's going to be about uh, the first two months of the year, uh, eight weeks. And what this is called is Discover Life Change. And the purpose of this series is to help you and I study the Bible together to understand what it looks like to experience the life change that God wants for us. And really, uh, you know, we have our New Year's resolutions, and I just wanted to take eight weeks and talk about some Bible concepts, some different principles throughout Scripture that will really help you get unstuck in 2020. How many of you know 2020 is, uh, uh, the idea of it is perfect clarity, you know, 2020 vision, perfect vision. And so we're believing for 2020 that you're going to have perfect clarity for your life, amen? Perfect clarity in your finances, perfect clarity in your marriages and your relationships, perfect clarity in your walk with the Lord, and perfect clarity. Now we know that perfection is never possible until Jesus comes back and takes us home to be in heaven with him. But hey, we're going to just believe that in 2020, God's going to do a life change in our lives. Amen? Amen. You don't want to miss this series. Invite someone to join you, and uh, we'll get right into that uh, on January 5th. 
It's going to be fantastic. Okay, well, today we're going to get back. We're going to finish our series today. For those of you who are visiting, and I know we have a lot of visitors here today, and uh, my name is Ryan. My wife and I uh, are a part of this church here, and I get to pastor it, and my wife's working with the kiddos today, and, uh, but we just love this church. We love Love City Church. Love it. We love it. We love it. And uh, I don't care if you think our name is corny. We, we exemplify uh, our name, and we do it boldly. And so Jesus only gave us two rules. Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And because of that, love your neighbor as yourself. He said everything else is just kind of put in. But uh, the, the, he asked us to love. And that's what we do, amen? We love our city, and we're a local church, and we're glad you're here today. And we, we pray that if you're looking for God or looking for a great community to be a part of, you found a good place to do that. So come on, we're going to get into the Word today. What we've been doing, we, we've been in a series called uh, The Blessed Life. And this, this series that we've been in uh, has uh, been uh, about the idea that uh, really in our journey with God, it's easy in our current context in our society to have all different pictures of what the blessed life looks like, especially around Christmas time. You know, Christmas time is a very generous season, but it's also a season where how many of you know that sometimes you look, uh, there's, there's people across the world who have Christmas where, you know, the Christmas gifts are abounding and, you know, it's huge piles of, of gifts or, you know, brand new vehicles or cars or things like that. And if you're giving your wife a brand new car, no, no guilt from me, it's okay. But I, I could use a car too, so bless me as well. Um, <laughs> But, you know, we have all these different ideas of what the blessed life looks like. And the whole idea of this, this series is to help you understand that in a relationship with Jesus Christ, all of the things that are on our external, externally that we pursue in life, kind of dim and fade of, as important when we have a relationship with God. And what God does is God actually changes our values and he changes our perspective and he changes what we value on this planet. And what he does is he begins to do something on the inside of us. And a blessed life is really about what God does on the inside. You become satisfied and content with life and you begin to realize that God's blessing and God's favor in your life is beyond anything you could ever imagine. And, and, and you realize that your external things that you have are great, but in the end of the day, they just don't satisfy. New, new things don't satisfy and homes don't satisfy and the more doesn't satisfy and those things aren't bad but at the end of the day we realize that a blessed life is someone who experiences a life-giving relationship with God and through that we've looked at what it, what it looks like to give our whole life to God to be a follower of God, being blessed by God means that we give everything in our lives to God. God wants everything. He wants every area of our lives. He wants our hearts, our minds, our soul. He wants our strength. He wants our finances. He wants our relationships. Come on, say this. I want you to repeat after me. God wants everything. He wants it all. God wants your whole life. He wants the whole thing. He doesn't want a part of it. He doesn't want just a microscopic part of your life. He doesn't just want 10% or 50%. God wants it all. He wants every part of who you are. And one specific area that we've been talking about where it's most difficult for most of us to give our lives to God is in the area of our money. We've been talking about uh, money and we talked a little bit about the tithe. So don't worry, I'm not gonna talk about the tithe today. So all the visitors are like, oh, thank God. <laughs> We're not going to talk about the tithe today. We talked about that. And I actually want to encourage you to go back and listen to that if you didn't hear it because you, you, I'm going to t I teach the Bible. There's, there's no dog in the fight. There's no agenda here. I don't take your tithe and go out and put a down payment on my next Ferrari vehicle. You know, the idea of this whole teaching is to help you understand that, that God, Jesus teaches on, on, the number one thing Jesus teaches on is the kingdom of God. The, the, the second thing Jesus teaches about is money. 50% more than heaven and hell. 50% more than the end of the earth. He talks about money. 
And so it's pretty important that we understand what is a biblical understanding of money. And so we talked about tithe. We talked last week about the offering, about that 90% and what that looks like. Today, we're just going to talk about just the over general idea of giving and about being a generous person. It's a great season to talk about generosity. And so we're just going to look at a, one of the most famous scriptures in the Bible. And this scripture is very, very important. The reason I want to share on it, because a lot of people use it to talk about the tithe. And this scripture actually has nothing to do with the tithe. This scripture is actually the opposite of, of what the tithe is about. It's actually beyond something else. It's about just the overarching idea of giving. And this scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is one of the greatest scriptures that you can look at to understand what a lifestyle of spirit-led giving looks like. There are mind-blowing truths in this scripture, and I want to make a promise to you that if you get this, if you could understand this today, that at the end of the day, here is the point of the entire series. God simply wants your heart. He doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. And what Paul teaches here is some really, really important things. He, this is kind of the context of this verse. Uh, in, in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, the, the city of Corinth is very similar to the city of Calgary, actually. Very affluent, uh, very prevalent. A lot of intellectual, a lot of intellectual philosophers and uh, a lot of different things. And Paul said when he came to Corinth, he said, listen, I'm not going to try to tickle your ear with intellectual thoughts. I'm only going to preach one message, the message of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ crucified. He says, I'm not going to try to impress you with fancy words. I'm just going to give you the truth about Jesus and how he died on a cross and how I, and that the power of the cross can transform your life. And that three days later, he was buried in a grave, historically proven that he rose on the third day and he appeared to over 500 different people. It's proven through history that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And Paul said, I'm just gonna teach that. That's it. I'm not gonna try to convince you on the nuances of all these intricacies of theology. I'm just gonna teach you that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ crucified, he died on a cross, he was buried for three days, he rose on the third day, and that is the message of Jesus Christ, that he has a, a, a freedom, a, a life for you, and transformation for you, and he can, you can experience the life-giving power of God simply by putting your faith in him. It's free. It's undeserved. But guess what? He wants to give it to you. And that's what Paul said. I'm just going to teach that to you. So the Corinthians were wealthy folks. And there was Jerusalem. Uh, the church of Jerusalem was experiencing some tremendous persecution. And so what was happening is they were being persecuted and murdered for their faith. And what these people were doing is they would go in their homes and take all of their possessions and they would burn them in a fire. Or they would go and they would, they would, they would flog these different Christians for being followers of God. And so what Paul was doing is Paul was trying to raise support for these, this, this church in Jerusalem because they were very poor. And so what Paul did was Paul went to uh, the Corinthian church and they said, yes, we're going to give a lot of money. We, we want to we make a commitment that we're going to support this cause. And so uh, uh, some time went by, about a year went by, and Paul took this message that he preached to the Corinthians and he brought it to the church of Macedonia. Macedonia was a very, very poor city. And in that poor city, the Macedonians took an offering and gave a tremendously huge offering. Out of their poverty, the actual chapter 8 says, out of their poverty, they gave more than most other churches gave. And here's Macedonian church. They gave all this money. And then Paul in chapter 9 comes to the Corinthians and says, hey guys, listen, I want to remind you, you made a commitment that you were going to give to Jerusalem. The Macedonian church has given, because you said you were going to give, the Macedonian church stepped up and they gave tons of money to, to help these poor Christians in the church in Jerusalem. I want to remind you, he basically says this, don't embarrass me now. I went around and spread the word that you were going to give away a bunch of money and don't embarrass me by not following through. 
So could you please just make sure you keep your commitment? And Paul gives these very important truths that if you could understand today that my heart is simply a heart of a pastor, a heart of a shepherd today to help teach the Bible to you so that you can understand that there is tremendous victory. Listen, tremendous victory that will come in your life when you recognize that money is not your all-sufficient uh, sufficient source. God is your all-sufficient source. And so let's look at this verse today in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 8. And it says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Just a little side note, I won't say it again, just another point. This chapter is not about tithing at all. It's about an offering. It's about giving a lavish love offering. It's about giving above and beyond the tithe. So we're not referring to the tithe. And so each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful, men, uh, God loves a cheerful giver. These Corinthians were givers. And Paul, by direction of the Holy Spirit, began stating the most basic and important law of giving. The most basic and important law of generosity. He said this, I'm sorry, he said this, um, that though whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Jesus actually carries this over in Luke chapter six, verse 38. He says, give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap for with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. And so Jesus carries this principle over and I want you to know that this is not supposed to create a motivation in you that says, if I give, I will get. The heart behind what, what Paul and Jesus is saying is this, that, 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 that you can be free from fear, knowing that when you give and you honor the Lord with your finances, God will always provide for all of your needs. The purpose of him saying, well, how, however much you, you sow, you will reap, is not to say, okay, if I sow a big amount, I'm gonna get a big amount. No, 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 that's not the motivation of this. This means this, hey, listen, no matter where you're at, if God speaks to you to give a generous gift, you should obey, because guess what? You don't have to be afraid. Because when you sow, guess what? In the kingdom of God, you will reap. That's the message of what this verse is saying. That you don't have to be afraid. And that this is a guideline for giving that you and I can follow. Look what it says. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. There's not a single person on the planet that can decide how much that you should give outside of the tithe except for you. I can't tell you how much to give. No pastor can, no church can. Any church that comes to you, a pastor that comes to you and says, you have to give this amount is biblically inaccurate. You decide. Guess who it's between? You and the Holy Spirit. This is the moment where you make a personal decision that there's no one else on this planet that can, that can tell me who to, who to give for my offering and give a, a lavish gift or, or give an offering above that tithe. Only God can speak to your heart. But he says, don't give it reluctantly and don't give it out of compulsion. What does it say to do? Give it out of a cheerful giver, cheerful heart. Listen to me. A blessed life is an outflow of cheerful giving. 
A blessed life is an outflow of cheerful giving. How many of you know a cheerful giver? Guess what? God has to do a work in your heart. How many of you know it's a little bit hard when God comes to you and says, hey, I want you to give that money and that money was reserved for your new, uh, your new golf clubs you wanted to buy and you put it aside and God says, actually, I want you to give that money to the church or I want you to give that money to that missionary or I want you to give that money to build a house in Africa or I want you to give that money to this person or that thing and God speaks to you. How many of you know most of us aren't like, yes! Woohoo! Most of us are like, no, I was just getting my golf swing down and I was going to hang out with Michael. I was going to get it all figured out. It was so exciting. We know that when it comes to our finances, our natural tendency is to be a grudging giver. We are not, we were born as grudging givers. We were born selfish. We were born wanting our own time. We were born wanting our own money. We were born thinking that we were in control of our whole lives. That's how we were born. It is a state of the human heart. But when God does a transplant in your heart, when God transforms you, guess what? You realize that, man, God is my sufficiency. God is my provider. When God tells me to give, I'm going to give. Why? Because when I sow, God says, I'm going to reap. And I do that with a cheerful heart. And so in this, I want to tell you that, that being a cheerful giver is actually a sign of a transformed heart. I'm going to read that again. I want you to let this sit in because this is really important. Being a cheerful giver is a sign that our hearts have been transformed by the power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you and I are cheerful givers, man, it's a sign that we were brought from the death to life, that we were taken from the muck and the mire and the clay and the brokenness and the addiction and the hurt and the pain, and we were brought from this place to this place. And because God is transforming, I say, God, everything I have belongs to you. I want to give and worship to you, God. That is a sign of a transformed life. And so in this verse, I want to just quickly give you just three things, three ideas here, three challenges we face. And I really think this is going to help you throw in this verse. There's three different tests, or I'll use the word challenge, in these verses to help us identify what our money is really about. So the first one is this, the need test. This need test comes from really trusting that God is our sufficiency. Look at the verse in 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able, say God is able. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God is able so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Come on, our God is able. Come on, this need test starts with your faith in God. Our God is able to provide all. Come on, I'm going to give you an insight to the deep Greek intricacies and delicacies of this word all. It is incredible. You study this word out, and I want to tell you what this word all means. The word all means all. <laughs> he provides for all your needs. See, this is the foundation of our need test, that when we look at our finances and we say, God can you provide? God, you told me to give this money, but I don't know how you're going to provide for my need. That's a faith test. It's a moment where we say, okay, God, I trust that I'm going to be obedient to you and I'm going to step out in faith on you because God, the Bible says this, that you are able to bless me abundantly. That God, that in all things and at all times, you're going to meet my need. 
Come on, this is a step of faith. This is the step of you and I as followers of Jesus. This is the first step we take in the area of our finances is the need test, knowing that our God will and can bless you abundantly. And guess what the Bible says? Look at that beautiful word. He says, at all times, always. Come on, say always. always. Come on, say it again, always, always. When the stock market's high, not just when the stock market's high and the interest rates are low, not just when things are good at your business and you're about to sell it over and it's gonna be a huge profit, not just when your husband at work is getting in that new promotion, but when things are not easy and things are, not, uh, things are challenging and when you and your wife are fighting and when you don't know what's gonna happen and you don't know where to go, you gotta trust, the, the, the need test says, my God is able, he always provides for all of my needs. That's called faith, to believe that even when things are tough and God speaks to your heart and says, okay, son, I want you to give that money that you've been saving to this thing or to this cause or to this church or to this thing. I want you to do that today. And you respond in faith. Guess what God does? The Bible promises you reap what you sow. And if we give, these are linked together. So if you and I give cheerfully, out of our cheer comes an abundant desire to give. And the promise in this verse is that, okay, if I'm going to be a faithful giver, a generous person, God is able to bless me. And God is able to not just bless me, but bless me abundantly. And so we have to trust that all grace and all sufficiency and all these things come in our life to recognize this one major point that you have to understand today. Whatever, whenever those thoughts come, will I have enough? Can I make it? If I give this money, am I going to be able to do this? I want you to know, I want to give, I want to label a word on that. It's called fear. God speaks to you to do something and your first response is, but how or what or why or I don't understand or how are we going to do this or we were going to plan that. God, I don't understand. Well, firstly, if it's the Lord's will, he's going to provide for it. But just to point out to you that that is fear. And when those thoughts come, the first thing to remember is that our money is not our sufficiency in the first place. God is our sufficiency. God provides for all of our needs. God will help us. And I want to just say this to you as an encouragement to you. Maybe the things that you're planning that don't work out wasn't a need and wasn't God's will. Ooh, I'm sorry. I just had to throw that in. It wasn't the notes, but I just had to say it. Because I have to say that to myself all the time when my dad walks me into Best Buy and starts buying things. I'm like, I really need that. <laughs> Been saving my money and God says, give it. And I say, I don't want to, God. I don't know how I'm going to get those new smart light bulbs that I've been wanting throughout my house. <laughs> and hey, I decided not to get them and my dad walked in and bought me six of them. There you go. I begged him on the floor, but whatever. <laughs> It seems so frivolous. You know what? I, I'm a smart geek. I'm a technology guy. I just, like, I, like, it sounds stupid. I know. God, I think it'd be kind of fun, you know, to, like, have these light bulbs. They're only, like, you know, 15 bucks. Seems so dumb. But you know what? God's so faithful. Look at that. I just, I can't afford it. I had something else to do. I got heart for the house offering and tithe and give this thing and pay that thing and Christmas gifts and my nephews who want money all of a sudden. I want to get them cheap on sale gifts. They don't know how much I paid. Now they just want an exact amount of money. And 
right? But God somehow, he provides. Because God in all things, at all the time, he provides for all of our needs. The second one, don't, don't be afraid you'll, you'll, of, the, of the word that's on the screen. <laughs> uh, don't worry. Um, the second one is this, the greed test. The greed test comes when we move beyond our sufficiency into our abundance. Now, of course, there's a big difference between our need and our want. And contrary to what some Bible uh, churches might teach or pastors might teach, the, uh, the, 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 the God does not promise to satisfy your wants. <laughs> God does not promise to satisfy what you want. So you've got to be really careful that with your finances, you're not attaching your imagination to what you want. Because your imagination as followers of Christ sometimes, especially on social media, I, I, that's one of the reasons I'm not on social media at all. You scroll through social media and you see all of you, the people who have all these nice things or nice clothes or nice cars or nice house or nice whatever, and you're scrolling through it. And what you don't realize is that in the subconscious of your brain, you're beginning to see that without even realizing it. I know in my own life, I look at it and I get a little jealous. I get a little envious. And so then somewhere in there, I begin to say, God, I begin to feel this stirring in my spirit that says, I want that. And then somewhere along the line, I begin to wrap God and faith and his Bible around it. And in reality, it was just my imagination. It was never God. So I spend my whole life trying to work more to possess something that God never intended me for to have. And I'm angry at God because he's not providing for me. That's called greed. And so in this journey, we have to understand something that, that there's, a, there's a level uh, 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 beyond sufficiency, and it's called abundance. God promises to meet all of your needs, but this is the point that happens, and I actually just had this happen in my own life. Um, you know, let's I'll use someone else's example because I don't want to look like a dork. So, um, you know, you, uh, you, you are needing to pay down some debt or have some costs, some, some sorry, this wire here is tickling my armpits. <laughs> Tickles a little. <laughs> um, we, but we need, you have a need or something and you want, you know, you got to maybe pay down some debt on a credit card or a car or something like that. And you're like, okay, God, you know, I'm going to be a faithful steward in 2020 and I'm going to pay down my debt by March and it's going to be killer and it's going to be awesome and I can't wait. And I met with all the financial advisors and we got it all figured out. And God says, man, son, well done. I'm going to bless you. And he just drops $5,000 in cash on your front porch in an envelope and you walk out there and you pick it up and you thumb through it and you think oh my gosh where did this come from god is so faithful and my first reaction is man maybe i should go on a vacation <laughs> that's called greed so what happens is is that there's a test in our greed that when we set at a stewardship plan for our finances and then god blesses us and that abundance causes our heart to think only of our own self and see, what we'll learn in the next one is that that abundance was not intended to meet your want. The abundance was, med, uh, was, was given to be given. I'll show you here in this, so this test here of abundance is that whenever God blesses you, the, I encourage you to consider your first reaction is probably not the smartest. <laughs> but God will give you wisdom on how you can Begin to build a kingdom life for yourself on your need. And he will use that abundance in his kingdom for something great. And I don't know what that is, but I want to encourage you, when that money comes in, take a beat, take a minute, step back, and remember, you made a commitment to be a good steward, and I'm going to keep that commitment. And God will bless you for that good stewardship. The third thought is this, the seed test. And this is one we're going to spend just the remaining part of our time here again, just for a few more minutes, the seed test. 
So there's a higher level of use for your money beyond your need and beyond your greed. The highest use of money is seed. So I'll explain this for a moment. Look at this language here that Paul uses. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So how, you view the, how do you view the money that you control? Do you see it as there to just meet your need? Is it there to satisfy maybe your greed? Or do you see it as seed? And when we see our money as seed, we finally move into what I call a biblical sweet spot. Say sweet spot. We move into the biblical sweet spot of the blessed life where, listen, everything that you have is seed to be sown into God's kingdom and to others. So without question, God wants to meet every single need in your life. But the purpose of the money that God gave you is not to serve your abundant need or your want. The purpose of the extra and the purpose of every dollar we have is to be seed that is cast back into God's kingdom and to other people. So let's just imagine for a moment if I was a farmer and I had a bag of seed. The, the idea here is that if, if I took this bag of seed and I ground it down and I made some bread and I fed myself with this seed and then stood around and waited for someone else to give me another bag of seed, I would simply be meeting my need at that moment. It would be my need and I would be feeding myself with the abundance. But the farmer, if the farmer took a little bit of that seed, ground it down, made some bread to meet his need, took the rest of the seed, planted the seed, guess what would happen? He would have an abundant amount of more seed and crop that he could then give away and eat a little bit and bless himself, maybe have an extra cake that week, and then he'd be able to give away more because he planted more seeds. See, God intended your money not just to be given to yourself and to be given to your life. The purpose of God giving you money is that you would use it as seed. Look what he says in this verse 10. He who supplies, so God who supplies seed. So listen, all the seed is God's. I hate to break this to you, and I know we all feel like we worked hard for our money, but I want you to know, God gave you that money. You don't know any of it. It's all God's. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Do you see that? It says that he gives you, supplies seed to the what? Not the keeper. Seed to the sower. And then what else does he do? He meets your need and gives you bread for food. So we see in this verse that, it, that, that God here is, is providing for not only our need, but now he's giving you seed that you can cast out to develop a larger crop with more abundance to go farther than your personal seed could have ever gone. Now, there's three ideas here about seeds. The first one is this, is that you reap what you sow. Can you imagine if a farmer went out one day and planted wheat seeds and when and he was upset because he didn't get corn? No, if he goes out and he, he plants wheat seeds, guess what's going to happen? He's going to get wheat. It's a natural law of order that God created. All from the very beginning of Genesis chapter 1, he said that, that each plant bearing fruit will produce its fruit. Apple seeds produce apples. Orange seeds produce 
apples. In the same way in the spiritual realm, with our money. What did I say? Did I say it wrong? That's like, like the, the, every preacher never wants to say those things. You know, like, it unproves your point. <laughs> I just added 10 minutes to the message. <laughs> the point is this, is that the Bible teaches this, that when you sow money, you'll reap money. So what you sow, you will reap. We don't sow for the purpose of getting more money. That's obviously the idea here. The point is to be a good steward of what God has given us. But you just have to know that if you reap money, if you sow money, you're going to reap money. Just plain and simple. This isn't a a prosperity gospel message because I don't believe in that false doctrine. I don't believe that's the case. But what we are talking about is just a natural law of order. When you plant a seed after you sow, can you imagine if a farmer said to himself, okay, standing out in a big dirt field, okay, Man, when this crop grows, I'm going to sow. Man, when this crop grows, I'm going to give it away. When this crop grows, I'm just going to re-sow. But he never actually plants any seed. Just, man, I'm going to, man, when, when I get that promotion, I'm going to give. Man, when I make it big time, I'm going to be a giver. Man, when I finally get that promotion, when I finally sell that car, when I finally do that thing, I want to tell you that if that is your mindset of giving, you will never be a giver. Because you only reap after you sow. You will not reap something to give away until you sow a seed. Right there in Genesis 8, 28, begin, it's another uh, or, uh, part of our, our worldly order that God created while the earth remains. There's seed time and there's harvest. Jesus says it too in Mark. Look what he says. He also said this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, and though he does not know how, and all by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel on the head, and as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. So Jesus says, listen, that when you plant a seed, you will not reap a harvest, you will not see an increase, you will not see an abundance, you won't see a crop unless you are planting the seed. You've got to cast that seed out. It will never happen if you say to yourself, once we get to this point, I'm going to start being a giver. I want to tell you today, it'll never happen. Listen, the scripture says this, God rewards those greatly who are faithful with the small. Be faithful in the little and God will reward you greatly. Here's the third thought and we'll end on this thought here. You reap more than you sow. If a farmer goes out and plants one kernel of corn, one kernel of corn planted in the ground, did you know that that kernel of corn will come out with several heads of of, of corn? And of those heads of corn, guess how many per kernel you can get? 400 kernels per one piece of corn. When you plant one single corn into the ground, you will get 400 times more than what you planted. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 9.10. He who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed. This is a very elementary truth, but I, uh, truth, but I want you to get this. Look at this verse in Psalms 126. Look at this. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, (laughs) will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. When God comes and speaks to you and says, okay, man, 
I want you to give that money you've been saving. You're like, God, I really don't want to. But I will. Okay, God, like, come on, man. Like, I'm doing it cheerfully, and I love you, and you're faithful, but I really wanted to use this money for that, or I wanted to do it for this reason, and you're casting seed, and you're like, all right, God, but you're faithful, and I know this isn't easy at times, and I know it's hard, and I know that times I want to control my situation, and I want to control my life, but it just seems like money always seems to be the point of contention in my marriage, and it seems to be the point of contention in my relationship, and I don't know what to do, but God, you're faithful, and you're casting the seed, and the Bible says that you'll turn with joy because you walk back with sheaves of grain in your hand because you were faithful to be a giver knowing the principle of the seed is that you will always reap more than what you sow always that's how God works see look at this idea it says this and it ends on this he will also enlarge the harvest of your righteousness where did he put that in there? This isn't about money. You will multiply the harvest of your righteousness. Paul threw this. He's talking about money, 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 giving, 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 giving. And then he talks about your heart. And he throws this in at the very end of this, this scripture. And he wants you to know something today, that even though this feels like a catch-22, that if I, I have to give my money away and I have to be faithful to God's word and that he'll, it's just a catch-22 because it's difficult, I want you to know that this is the great paradox of what it means to live a blessed life. And I'm telling you today, if you're struggling in areas of your life, you will start finding victory when you allow God to come and impact your heart. Because at the end of the day, this is not about your money. It's about God getting your heart. He says, listen, if you sow, you're going to reap. And when you, when you sow, you're going to reap more than you started with. That's just how it works. It might not always be in money. Sometimes it might be in relationships. Sometimes it might be in joy. Sometimes it might be in peace. Sometimes it might be in harmony in your relationship with your spouse. Who knows? God blesses you in all sorts of ways. But I want you to know the whole entire purpose of this entire thing called money is that you would use it for the kingdom of God and trust that God, I love you so much. It's about my heart and my relationship with you. He's not after your money. He's after you. Why do you think it's so hard to hear this message and think, ah, oh, I don't want this and I don't like that and I've heard this before. It's because God's saying, hey, son and daughter, I just want your heart. And when we give, whether, like, when we give without thought to whether or not we will receive, guess what? You're going to receive. And when you come to the place in your finances where you say, okay, God, it's all yours. I'm just going to worship you with it. Whatever you want me to do, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to be obedient to you, God. God responds by saying the same thing to you. He says, okay, I'm going to give to you and bless you because you've shown you could be a good steward. I just want to give you more because I know that every time I give you some, you give it away. And every time I give you more, you give it away. And every time I say, go give to that person over there on the other side of church who Holy Spirit speaks to you and says, I want you to give that person a thousand bucks during Christmas. What? I don't got that kind of like, what? I've been setting that aside for this and this. And you do it. Guess God, okay, good. You can do that. Fine. I'm going to give you more because I know you know that every dollar you have is to be used as seed for the kingdom of God. And why? It's because I just love Jesus so much. I just have such a good relationship with him. 
And this is why I love, this is why I love worshiping God. That when I reach out and touch God in worship, I touch him and I experience him and he showers. He, what he does is he reaches out and touches me and he gives me his blessings and he gives me his presence. That's the same thing with God. That's the same thing with giving, that when you reach out and you begin to give to God with your finances, guess what? He just reaches back down and gives you something. He just says, okay, son and daughter, I trust you, I bless you. But I want, you wanna know what the devil wants to do? He wants to get you focused on the blessings of God and not God himself. He wants your money to be about how it's going to bless me and how is this going to work out for me and how am I going to get a return on my investment, my ROI. And I'm supposed to get 9.72% every single time I make an investment. And if it doesn't work out that way, it's not, no, 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 you're missing the point. It's not about any of that. It's not about that at all. It's about your heart. We started with this story and I'll end on it this morning and then we're just going to sing a song. I want to share this story again. You've heard it many times, but maybe there's some in the room who haven't heard it. It's in Mark chapter 10. and Probably my favorite story in the Bible. It's the story that God spoke to my heart when we started Love City Church. This young man who had it all. He was wealthy, had a lot of money. He was popular. He had nice stuff. He had a good family. He was a good guy. He gave to charity. He was a religious person. He was a spiritual person. And he finally came up to Jesus one day and said, Jesus, something's missing in my life. I just feel like I've got all these things in my life, but I, I just feel like there's just something missing. I give my money away. I'm a charitable person. I'm good. I, like, I just don't know what's missing. And Jesus says to him, hey, well, you know the Ten Commandments. You know, don't you know, love your neighbors yourself and you know, don't commit adultery and all those kind of things that have to do with you know, your neighbor and you know, don't, don't, don't envy your neighbor's stuff and all those different Ten Commandments that I have. Obviously, I'm having a hard time remembering. Um, he, says, he says, do those things. And the man looks at him and says, I'm a good person. I've always done those things. I've always helped. I've always given. I'm a good person. Scripture says, and this is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. It says that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. He looked at this man who had everything on the outside, but inside something was missing. And he says, there's one thing you lack. Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have a treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. And at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. I find it so fascinating that this man came to Jesus and Jesus said to him, I just want all your money. <laughs> just give it all away. Why? Because the money, it's not about money. It's not about how much money you have. It's not, about, it's not about what you've done with it. And it's not about how good you are. God just says, I just want your heart. I just want a personal relationship with you. And when God sent his son, Jesus, to the earth, he was God's tithe. And he sent his son to the earth and his son died on a cross. He walked on the earth. He died on a cross. He, he was buried for three days. He rose on the third day and he did all of that. And he owns everything in the world just because Jesus wants a life-giving personal relationship with you. And if you can understand that a blessed life is the kind of life that says, God, it's all yours. And I want to worship you with every single cent I have. And that God, I want to worship you for all the wonderful things you've done in my life might be here today and he's like man there's something missing in my life it's not about your money it's about your heart Just you close your eyes for a minute come on every person with your eyes closed 
come on, today you're here and you just, maybe you're like that person I call the rich young ruler. You kind of got things figured out. You kind of got your life. You got your finances. You've got your problems and your situations you're facing, but there's something in your heart that feels like, man, there's something missing. During this Christmas season, we feel like, God, there's just something missing. It might be a personal relationship with Jesus. And today, if you're here and you say, Ryan, man, I'd like to just start a journey with him. I hear what you're talking about money, but I hear you the message that it's about my heart and that Jesus wants your heart today and he wants to transform you and make you new and give you freedom and transform your life. Come on, if you're here today and you say, Ryan, I'm not a follower of Jesus, but I'd like to be. Come on, with every eye closed, I'm not gonna call you forward. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna point you out. I just want you to quickly put your hand up, put your hand down, and I'm gonna count to three. And if you're here today and you say, Ryan, I'd like to just start this journey with God today. I don't know what that means. I don't have all the answers, but I would like to maybe start this journey to figure out who this Jesus is that you've been talking about today. Come on, on the count of three, I'm gonna count to three. One, come on, two, don't be afraid. Just really quickly put your hand up, put it down. One, two, three. Come on, anybody here today wanna give their life to Jesus Christ? Come on, one, two, three. Go ahead, put your hand in the air if you'd like to. Come on, amen, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, church. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Come on, let's pray together with these people today. Come on, would you repeat after me? Come on, repeat after me real loud. Dear Lord Jesus, I give my life to you today. I need you, God. I give you everything. My heart, my mind, my soul, my finances, my relationships. I give it to you today, God. And I put you first in everything. I commit my life to you afresh. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Come on, let's sing this song together. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.